Hello and welcome. This is Working Class to World Class. And in this episode, I'm catching up with a true legend. Oh my God, it is Jim Kerr, lead singer of Simple Minds. Now, Jim started out in the high-rise tenements in a working-class area of Glasgow, but now he is one of the most iconic and famous artists worldwide. He has sold out so many tours. He sold millions of albums or records, depends what area you were in, I suppose. And he also owns a hotel in Italy. It's an absolute pleasure. It's, it's a privilege to have him on the show today. Breaking through the barriers of adversity, I'm Lynn Lester, and this is Working Class to World Class. I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest for this episode. It is a man that's not only sold, check this, 60 million albums. He is a multi-award winner. But most importantly, and I think it's the most important thing, he is a fellow Glaswegian. It is the one, it is the only, it's Jim Kerr from Simple Minds. So thank you for joining me. Well, listen, um, I am indeed a fellow Glaswegian. I'm very proud of that. As for those 60 million records, I wish I'd had the check for the 60 million. I'm still <laughs> waiting for that. Every time, I, every time I see that or read that, it tends to go up about 10 million. But, um, but it sounds good. Sounds good. And, um, but yeah, you're right. I'm born and bred Glasgow. People know me from being in Simple Minds. And um, we're very fortunate to have a career that's taken us all over the world. And I'm sure that's what you want to talk about in this interview. Well, it is. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. So just to keep this real, I'm actually recording this from my house in Clyde Bank, where I was brought up. And I'm sure it's a place that you know well. And we can talk about that in a second. But the one thing I really wanted to sort of point out to everyone listening is, Gemma, I asked you, I think, you know, it was one minute I asked you if you would like to be part of this because it's all about helping to inspire people with your story. And literally yeah. within under 10 minutes, you came back and said, absolutely, I'm up for this. So can mm. you just talk to me through what, why did you do it? Well, <laughs> I had been doing this last week. We're about to go on, on tour and uh, they really ramped up a lot of the promo this week. <laughs> just a bit. Just about half an hour before I got the request for you, I'd said, I'm not doing any more, that's it. Um, we've got to get on with it here. But um, you, you know, well, you actually said the word there. There's, there's, there's certain words that always um, jump out at me. And uh, they pertain a lot to our, our story. And certainly um, inspiration is one of the key words. That mixture of inspiration and aspiration. And um, I don't know what I've done really, but whatever I've done, I've certainly been inspired by a lot of people. And um, if in any way your story helps to inspire, then um, that's a good thing. So really, it, um, those were the switches, those were the clicks that made awesome. me go back to Elaine and say, um, after me saying, oh, don't ask me anymore, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> That's, uh, wait, wait. No, because of, you know, mm -hmm. not any prima donna thing, just we haven't got time. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so a couple of, you know, there's just key words, I think, to all of us. There's key words that we respond to, sometimes negative, sometimes positive. But um, uh, that word, inspiration, uh, um, it, it still has a still has a big draw for me. Still has a big pull for me. So that's why um, you know that's why I was keen to look over your your pitch for the the um, interview that we're about to do now. Amazing. Well, thank you. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And actually, it's really funny when I told some people you were coming on, particularly the guys. The first thing that came out of their mouth was he's a big Celtic fan, oh, that's a great, and they were obviously Celtic fans themselves, so there you go. I'm, I'll, I'll just... <laughs> I'm, sure not, I'm sure not all of them would have said that. <laughs> no, exactly. I didn't tell the half other roommates. Half of them, you I, yeah, okay, you told the ones you knew it would be safe to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, so, so as you said, you know, we're here to inspire people, and the whole ethos of this session really is about <clears throat> working class to world class. How people come from humble beginnings to make a real success for themselves now for a minute yeah you are the superstar you you are known worldwide you are so successful so for a second I'm going to strip you of that and I'm going to take you back many years 
to where you were Jim. I don't know if it was Big Jim, Wee Jim, Young Jim, don't know what you get called, but I'm going to take you back to where it began. And I would love you to sort of just tell your story. Where were you born? Where were you brought up? So the floor is yours. Well, I'm still Big Jim and Wee Jim. Um, um, and it really depended who your pals were that day when you were out, out playing. But um, I was born, I mean, it's amazing. The thing really that I went on to do in my life, which, you know, rock music and writing songs. Elvis Presley put out his first record four years before I was born. So I was born into a house of music between Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And my mum and dad, they had me. Well, <clears throat> both myself and my songwriting partner, Charlie Burchill, who will, I guess we'll talk about as well, because he's such a part of this story. We were, um, were born into Gorbals families, and we were born at the tail end of the 50s. So between the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, that's when music really, and the 80s, I think that's when music really was, as they call it, the lingua franca of the world. Music was the thing. There was nothing bigger than music. Nothing could touch it. I mean, when you think from the Beatles on, um, you'd be too young, but even when Michael Jackson came with a new record, the whole world knew about it. Um, Bruce Springsteen, when he came with a new record, the whole world knew about it. Prince, you know, and then can right up through MTV where we could watch all of these people being channeled into our, our homes. Um, so we grew up in terms of location. We grew up in a Glasgow, very different Glasgow from now. I mean, the first thing I have to say, hands down, is we loved our childhoods. We just absolutely loved our childhoods. We couldn't see, well, we didn't know beyond Glasgow, but we couldn't see beyond Glasgow. We didn't dream of being anywhere else. Um, having said that, you know, it was an, an interesting time because, you know, there was signs of certain aspiration or inspiration you know people were starting to well we moved into a tower block in Tory Glen Glasgow and although tower blocks don't have the best reputation we loved it you know we'd moved from uh, Gorbals tenements cold and dark and fires coal fires and all that stuff moving into central heating and moving into elevators and moving into Moving out of baths. I mean, it was, it was really, this is the modern world. And then also, as I said, a big thing for me is being at that high in the air looking out. It may have only been Glasgow. We could see up to the camp season and all that. But to us, it felt like the whole world was out there. So that was a, that was a great thing for Stoke and the imagination as well. So we grew up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm painting a rosy picture there, or I'm painting half the picture. That's that's the rosy side. The alternative side was that the industrial age, which Glasgow and west of Scotland particularly had played such a huge part in, was coming to an end. And with that, jobs, well, you would know about it, in Clyde Bank, shipyards and factories and my granddad worked in the shipyards my mum worked in singers uh, um Clyde Bank and 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 all of that was coming to an end so on one hand you go you know man's landing in the moon and all that things are moving forward on the other hand the age that had made our city was coming to an end and maybe an exaggeration to say it was on its knees but it was starting to go down. So we grew up in a mix of, um, you're from a great place, but especially if you were male working class, um, the chances were you're gonna to have to move. You're gonna to have to get a trade and move to Canada or move to Australia or move to wherever. So um, that was the world we were brought up. My, my family were all, they all worked in building sites or construction as it's called now um and even myself too from school and get extra pocket money so i'd go out in the sites on a saturday and help my dad and all that so um it was very much like that having said that my mum you know she's the greatest you know she she worked when we were young it was part-time jobs she was a, a machinist um 
And then she walked in. <laughs> no wonder my teeth have fallen out. Then she walked in. One of the first Greggs that opened in Glasgow said to me, you should buy shares in this place. I said, you kidding me on? <laughs> oh, God, what a mistake that, that was. Um, so Charlie Burchill, my songwriting partner, our band really started at school. Um, by the age of about 12 and 13, we were so into music. I mean, everyone was starting to get into it, watching Top of the Pops and buying your first singles and albums and going to your first gigs. But in our case, we got so into it, it was like, maybe we could start a band, maybe we could do something, you know, have fun. So um, the band Simple Minds, the roots of Simple Minds really starts before I got five guys in Holyrood School in Glasgow. And um, that's really the sort of background, that's the sort of genesis, that's where we grew out of. and and. Um, you know, had no idea of what was to come because um, the other thing I have to say, we're talking about Glasgow back then. We think of Glasgow the last 20 years. Glasgow has been great at reinventing itself and, and, and you go anywhere in the world and you, you know, people want to come to Glasgow. When we grew up, they only wanted to go to Edinburgh. Now they want to go to Edinburgh and Glasgow or just Glasgow, depending on the age. That wasn't the case then. Um, so, you know, it's been great to see those, those changes, but certainly the idea is starting a band that could, um, that could get a record deal, that could go on and have the kind of impact that our band's been fortunate to have. The chances of that happening, you had more chance of being an astronaut, as I put it, because um, we didn't know anyone who there was in bands, we didn't know anyone that wrote a song, we didn't know anyone at the record deal. So it wasn't like, you know, your uncle could put you in touch with a guy who had done it or who could, there was no mentors, there were no academies, there was there was nothing um, to teach you. So um, really it was all about, which is another word I have to use, I said imagination, I said inspiration, aspiration, but imagination. Imagination is a really powerful thing. And I think we were very fortunate to um, have that as a huge part of our characteristics. Wow, what a journey. It's funny when you say about singers. So my mum used to work in singers. Now, I wonder if they would have known each other. My, my mum's passed when I was only 16. So but she used to I'm talk sorry. fondly of it. No, and, and, and equally, you know, with, with your, your troubles. Um, and I think, you know, one thing you talked about there was your you know, how, how you thought big and how you explored the world and how you could see outside. And there was a nice piece that I had picked up and, and it's really heartfelt where you talked about your dad's and he was your best pal and how he mm. really influenced your life. Can, can you just tell us how, like, how did he influence you? Well, first of all, you know, when people talk, I know we'll, we'll get to it, you know, we talk about, I guess the essence of what we hear is this class thing and you're born into, some people seem to be born into certain advantages, others less so, obviously. But I think, it. well, the first thing, if you're born healthy, you're already ahead of the game. It doesn't matter where you are. You're born healthy. You're born in peacetime. You're born in a country that, that um, where you're allowed rights. You're already, you're already ahead of two-thirds of the world. So, you know, what an amazing thing. But if you go on top of that and you're born into a family with parents who loved you and 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 really demonstrated that and there was love in the house and you were encouraged in whatever we ways, um, that's, you know, again, you know, you grow up, I thought, well, everybody has that, don't they? No, they don't. Uh, and and um, so uh, I feel in my case, so fortunate to, to have that. But when you say, how did they inspire me? I don't hesitate to say they inspired me because they were really, what I thought, good people. And they spoke sense, you know, even good and even telling you off, don't do that, why? How would you like it? Okay. Uh, um, I mean, probably so, well, that's in the Bible, actually. <laughs> treat others <laughs> away, you know. But, you know, your mom and dad treating you like that, your mom and dad telling you that, you know, you're nothing special, but no one's more special than you either. Things like that from an early age, it, it kind of puts a, a backbone in you. It puts a, it puts a spine in you and, and um, you know, aware of it. I remember one of, um, 
I, I remember it clear as anything. First day my dad took me to um, uh, get a library ticket. And he told me, you know, he said, you're a lucky wee boy. Do you know what this is? Do, do, do you know what, do you know who, the, the amount of kids who would love this? You can go and you get any book in the world there. And he also told me the library we're going in, of course, was financed by Carnegie, who was a Scotsman that had done. So all of this, this stuff, I mean, um, as much as music books have been a huge part of what we do uh, um, in terms of inspiration, in terms of feeding the imagination. So um, um, all of that travel as well, uh, mom and dad saved. I mean, they must have put in extra hours. I went on a, on a, on a school trip uh, to Italy when I was 13 and uh, they, they must have saved every penny to scrape together for me to be able to do that. <laughs> and uh, I now live in Italy. I speak Italian. I've I, I become, um, the last 25 years, such a, I've got a business in, in, in Italy. It, if that hadn't happened, um, so that's really all the, the stuff, but, um, but they're just, um, they were the greatest parents yet. They didn't seem any different than anybody else's parents in the street, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to make them like saints. They were just brand new. You couldn't have asked for more. See, that's lovely. And it's nice, you know, you were talking about the backbone. So I actually think that's inherent in a lot of working class people because generally you don't have it. And then when you get it, you don't want to lose it. But also, you know, you, I think you had mentioned as well in one of your other interviews that your mum, when you were up in the high rise, it was like, get yourself outside. And for us, we were never allowed in the house. Like if it was a sunny day and it was freezing, you were out because you had to get yeah. the fresh air in your chest. Yeah. You know? And it was always a bit kind of, you know, it was rough around the edges, but you were complete, you were yeah. loved. And for us, kindness was putting food on the table that was how they showed yep. their love and making sure you were safe and warm and everything else yeah and, and you kind of talked about you know your holiday and we'll come on to Sicily because it's really interesting how you it was your first sort of school trip and you know you're there with Charlie down the road yeah but for you when you were younger like for me I, I used to go on holidays like Butlins and Blackpool because my brother lives in Blackpool they no, were we did as well of course loved it loved it the whole street <laughs> went well, it was a Glasgow fair, wasn't it? Like everybody, yes. you would meet all your neighbours when you're along yeah. the promenade. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, we would meet Charlie there because his family would do So you, you go to school every day with them, you go your holidays, you meet them the first night <laughs> at the shows. At the shows and your little, your, your kiss me quick hats. And that was just the best. And the rock as well. Absolutely love yeah. the rock. Yeah. And See, the thing is, you know, you were talking, you know, about how you sort of formed your band, but even before that, so I know when you were a younger boy, I believe you had a bit of a stammer and you had things like yeah. that going on. Did that ever hold you back or did that ever dent your confidence? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's quite, we can actually hear it now, you can still hear it at times. <laughs> um, you know, the way I see it now, it is true. I mean, I, I wouldn't like paint myself as a wallflower or as I say so you know getting bullied and all that <laughs> my dad got me a pair of boxing gloves when I was young as well he said you might need these a wee bit <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you know I wasn't a Mike Tyson but but I could um, so I didn't get bullied um, you know at school as I said as I've said you get freckles you get the mickey taken if you had red hair you get if you had glasses you get the mickey taken certainly I got the mickey taken but you know I took a mickey as well um, um, it was more when you left your circle and then went into an environment with other kids then they would notice and then the whole thing would start up again because your kids get fed up taking a mickey so it doesn't happen and then you're going oh here we go again so in those situations, I just wouldn't speak, um, um, and um, or I would I wouldn't speak unless I was really being um, provoked. But I think now I realise that in those speaking, you you notice things a lot more. You know, there's a dialogue with your own head going on. You're thinking, what is he saying that for, or what's this, or what's that, or you look at somebody's body language more. Basically, I, I don't have any proof of this, but I think. I think I had a real strong dialogue in my own head, a conversation going on in my own head a lot of the times, 
which has helped me in songwriting, which has helped me in the writing that I'm doing just, just now. Um, uh, that's how I uh, amused myself. And, and ever since I was a kid, I, always, I was always writing stories. No one else was. I mean, it, the image of that is, oh, well, you're kind of like, um, I used to call it a wee SWAT guy. <laughs> Not at all. But kind of there's things in my head and I need to get it out. Uh, whereas other kids could just yap away. Mine's would be sort of stuck in. <laughs> so uh, when I see it now, I think I might be joining up dots that aren't there, but that's the way I see it. I guess what I'm saying to you is sometimes you can, sometimes what are your disadvantages are actually forming um, advantages that you then find a way to use later in life. You know, I couldn't agree more with that. Like, so, so to, to put the record straight, when I was at school, I was bullied for quite a long time. But actually, it's made me a better person because I'm more confident mm. than I've ever been, ironically. Uh, and there's just so many attributes I have now, like, you know, treating people with kindness, never being horrible, you know how it feels. And, and my mom was similar, you know, treat people nice on the way up because you might meet them on the way back down again. So, so I think yeah. those learnings are so true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people were... And also, it was certain people were unkind. I mean, I'm going to say, on one hand, the teachers we grew up, they were great. I was just saying there, the teachers that took us on a school trip to Italy and all that, they went way beyond. But sometimes you teach, you know, the bit, especially for me, when you had to stand up, go around the class reading, I'd be like, you're not going to fucking ask me, are you? You know, I mean, Jim Kerr, you're next. Oh, Jesus. Um, Give me a break once, <laughs> but, um, but then you go, I mean, people say, how do you go from that to, to um, not only going on a stage as part of your band, but putting yourself in the very front line when that's the last place you would have wanted to be when you were at school. I mean, it's, it's, it's such, a, such a switch, but I've met, um, obviously I've met quite a few contemporaries and stuff and at least half the people that um i've met that jump around a stage like i do they're usually quite shy um once a gig finishes uh, um it's, it's a weird it's a weird twist yeah it is, but i think there's something i do think you have hidden something i genuinely think the things that, that put you at a disadvantage when you're younger somehow makes you flourish when you're older if you've got the right attitude obviously not everybody has that and so we're, we're very fortunate to do that but you know it's funny when, when you look at the school you went to I mean how come you drew the long straw because for me I was at Redfield High School which was boarded up windows but you had all you had lots of famous people didn't you at your school? That school's amazing I mean I have <laughs> to say that when I when I when I look now it's, it's I mean Oh, was there a great music teacher? The amount of bands, or did you all inspire each other? I mean, some of us knew each other, but at the time there was this stuff going on. But even um, when you look at the sort of alumni, um, those famous politicians, and we've got a couple of European Cup winners as well in terms of football. <laughs> and and, and um, I think what it was... I believe, I don't know if it still is, for the longest time it was a huge catchment area. I mean, I, I don't know why, but kids, there was kids for Gorbals, there was kids for Kings Park, there was kids for, you know, there was kids for everywhere. So perhaps, you know, the ratio as well, but but um, there was definitely something about it. And I think I'm led to believe, uh, even despite the fact that classes were jam-packed and full, you know, um, people did well people went to university and and stuff like that but it was just you know it was just a normal um secondary school yeah no definitely I mean it's just amazing like I think Fran Healy went there didn't he Travis and there's you could we could yeah. ring them you know I looked it up yeah. earlier and there's just so many I was like oh my god I yeah. thought maybe one or two but tons yeah uh, Helena you know the well she's a great advocate lawyer Helena Kennedy she she went there Frankie Boyle went there uh, um, who might need a lawyer? Uh, um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, some of Texas went there. There's, it goes on and on. Lloyd Cole and the commotions. Uh, Stevie Irvin, he he was in my class. Alan Brazil, who does the the um, the football program down in London, 
Alan, Alan was in our class at school as well. Um, so I don't know. The, there must have been there must have been something to put in a dinner school that um, <laughs> it was something that, in the water <laughs> that we all imbibed. That's right. That's right. So it sounds to me as though you know you've had a quite a humble upbringing, right? So you were never given the silver spoon by the sounds of it. You know, you, you led an ordinary life. Your parents did kind of what you would class as ordinary work, um, and you you led quite a you know just a nice sort of I guess just ordinary life that we that we do here. So when did you start discovering little things? There must have been little nuggets of, God, I, I actually can sing. Or, you know, when, when did you start realising you had some talent? Still waiting. I, I, um, <laughs> I didn't want to say. <laughs> still, still, still waiting for that. Um, I think it's called, when do you realise that you're just not getting away with this? Uh, um, well, i tell you what, it was really strange with, with me because... Um, if I have a talent, I think my my biggest talent and best talent is that um, I'm really great at spotting other people's talent. Um, let's call it latent talent that they don't think they, they have, especially when it comes to music. Um, because I'm not a musician, for me, it's... Um, I don't get bogged down with the technicalities. I just know when somebody does something that makes me feel, for me, it's all about the feel. And you can have five players playing something, it's the same tune as whatever, and then somebody plays something and there's a feel in it that either, you know, makes you want to jump for joy or it, or it, or it makes you sad or it, people will feel. So um, I got really interested in the musicians and obviously, I started going to concerts and, and I, it was a huge thing. How about this for a stroke of fortune as well? Um, there's a guy in my class called Kenny Campbell. And um, I mean, the, this age I was only 14 and uh, he would um, he would see me. I would walk around with all the albums under my sleeve, which was like a billboard, you know, you're kind of saying, this is me. Uh, um, and he, he, I mean, one day he said, you're into all that music crap and all that, and you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, you, you got to concerts. And I said, yeah, he goes, I can get you any, any concert you want, any time. And I said, what do you mean, Kenny? And he said, well, and it, it was, it so happens that his brother was the, the head of security or something, or, or the man, I can't remember what it was, or the manager, assistant manager. And what was then Glasgow's famous Apollo Theatre, I said, kid me on. He said, um, you want to go and see David Bowie next week? And I was like, this is before I got the, this is before I had the job in the butcher shop after school. <laughs> so I had no money. And he, I'm dying to see David Bowie. He said, all right, we'll go and see David Bowie. So um, not only did we go and we got to see David Bowie and all that stuff. And um, even at the end, we get taken out away where Bowie and his band were leaving. They, they sort of, you know, they brushed past us and all that. I mean, I was 13. It was, it was, it blew my mind. But then his, then his, his brother took a shine in me. This is over the next couple of years and said, listen, anything we need, a hand up at the Apollo if we need, you know, because sometimes we need a few extra guys to be a runner or, or, or whatever. I'll give you a shout. And so I got to, um, thanks to him, sometimes after school, or sometimes at dog school, and I'd go up to the Apollo and, and, and help the bands put up their gear, just not a technical stuff, just really humping gear around. And I, although God knows how I was, you know, I was like a toothpick. But anyway, um, they'd send me to the shop to buy the beer for the dressing room or buy this. The point is, <clears throat> At the sound check, I really got to watch all the stuff that, um, you know, I didn't know I was taking it in the way I was, but I, I kind of, I started to work out how things went, and therefore I got, I got confident about that. And then I'd go into my class at school, and you know, Brian McGee would have a drum kit, Charlie would have a guitar, so on. So I'd say, why, why don't you do something? Oh, well, haven't they got a place to rehearse? Oh, we can't find a van, or we don't know how. Or we don't. And I was, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. So, really, I never thought I would be in the band. I just thought I would be, I guess, a sort of manager or a roadie or something like, like that. 
And um, whatever the missing piece was, because I just wanted to be around people who played music. Um, whatever the, the missing piece was, I would find it. And, and they would play. And then they would say, but we don't know what music. This I'm, I'm making them sound clueless. They weren't clueless. <laughs> but kind of, I was on fire. And, and they were half on fire. And, and, and um, so I think I was really good at putting all it together. But the one thing we could never find was a singer. And then one night, I mean, it was probably the last time I got drunk, but one night I got drunk. They said, well, why don't you, you just sing then? And I was as long as you promise not to tell anybody, because, you know, this is already and all that, <laughs> um, um, I'll do it. Um, and I don't know, that was for about two months, it was like, like I'll do it, but you can't tell anybody I'm doing it. So we're just doing it till the singer comes, which, even this day, Charlie will say to me, listen, you, <laughs> still waiting for the singer to come. So, <laughs> don't, so don't get too confident. Um, so it was really that. I, I, I never thought, no, it wasn't a case of going and watching David Bowie and thinking, oh, I'll do that. No, it, it was more a thing of, oh, this world of music, somehow I have to, this is the, this is the thing I want to be involved in. And and um, somehow I've got to get involved in this world. It was it was more that than um, than you know thinking I could actually be at the forefront. See, that's amazing. You know, it's almost like serendipity, isn't it? It's like opening your eyes. So you know, we in Clyde Bank, it's quite it can be quite a narrow-minded place, as I'm sure Tory Glenn and Gorbos. And, and I think it's not until you see it you can believe it. So I remember mm. I went on a school trip once down to London. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like there's big buildings. And I had never been outside Glasgow. I wasn't even allowed to go in Glasgow on my own. I had to go with an adult. So I went to this place and I was like, oh, this is huge. And there's people rushing about. And I just love the buzz of it. So the fact that you got to witness it, and maybe that's one of the, the sort of first things for people is you've got to almost make the opportunity for yourself. And as you say, speak to the right people. Oh yeah, I'll definitely do that. Because you don't, I think unless you get outside your little bubble, it's very hard to to be what you might want to be, or maybe what you don't know what you want to be? Well, it's interesting you say that, and of course, serendipity is a huge part of everything. Uh, um, there's so many factors involved. But the interesting thing you you said there, and this is what I, this this is a, a especially when people talk about music, they, they, they never really look into this in terms of what, what we do. The interesting thing for me and what you said there is that, you went down and you saw all that and you got exhilarated. You could have got intimidated. And, mm -hmm. and some people do. You know, some people, when you take them out of their natural habitat, oh, this isn't for me. Oh, you know, how many people, oh, that London, no, I wouldn't, oh, it's not for me. But you were down there and you go like, wow. And you don't know what it is, is this instant... Um, resonance it resonates something hits you and you your eyes are wider and um and i think i mean for instance even in music and you know the people looking on would think well how could you know like that what they do you know they tour and they play and they 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 get the accolades and if they're lucky enough to have so who wouldn't they like that you'd be amazed at the amount of people i've worked with that don't enjoy um um they really don't enjoy being away from home or they don't, they, they, they there's lots of things get to them. They can't get, get over it. They can't get over the, the disappointments. You know, music's a weird thing. One minute you're nowhere, then you're top of the pile, then you're nowhere again. Um, what are you going to do? Cry for your mommy? Are you going to run home? Or are you going to knuckle down and reboot? Or, or I mean, they, that's where you find out who you are and what you're doing it for. But uh, particularly in saying, you know, who you are. I saw an interview recently with Robert, Robert De Niro and, and um, the guy asked him the question, you know, why, why you and da, 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 and he said, I'm lucky. And the guy, I've had this too. People said, it's not luck. I mean, there's certain luck, but you've worked hard and, and you've done this and you've done that which is absolutely all true and we still continue to do so. 
But we're lucky because we were born a type that could embrace this when not everybody can. Other things get to them or, or, or they, get, they get disappointed too soon or, you know, anyway, that's where, that's where serendipity comes in as well. You know, are you, are you in my case, serendipity to have a partner I mean, who, what's, what's the chances? I mean, the first day we moved into Tory Glen, mum and dad said, go out and play. Uh, you know, they were moving in couches and all the budgies and things like that. <laughs> uh, um, and and, and um, they're still building the scheme. So, you know, there was piles of bricks and piles of cement, and piles of sand, and, and there was a load of kids playing in the sand. Yeah, oh, there's the beach. And um, <laughs> right on top of it was Charlie Burchill. Uh, Charlie's family had moved in a couple of months earlier. You know, can we play? Ah, you can play as well. Uh, and, um, who, you know, Charlie's been my um, not only best pal, but um, songwriting partner, everything, you know. And, and, and as I always say, if it's just yourself, if it's just yourself, you can think you're mad, but when there's two of you, as I was reading Charlie, we thought everybody else was mad, <laughs> uh, and 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 that we were right, and that we would show them, and all that stuff, and that's you know strength in numbers. So that was a great piece of serendipity. If my mum had decided to go to Casimir instead, I know. Um, if my <laughs> if my mum decided to go to Casimir instead, that's that's that. Exactly. And you know, it's funny because it's almost a bit like twos off, isn't it? Like the people that don't doubt you, you're like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I think that's, that is a working class mentality. It's like, well, you're not going to yes. tell me what I'm doing. You know, you sort of yeah. doggedly dig your heels in. And, you know, I think, I believe, is it 1977? So it was two years before I was born, you launched the, is it Johnny and the Self-Abusers? Is that what you, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you could use that name now. I don't know where that name came from. But yeah, well, where did you come up with that idea? It's, it's a great name. I think they're fantastic. In fact, we might go back to it. I'll do your rebrand. Exactly. Get the plastic bags out again and, and, and the spiky hair. I don't know if we'll get that, but um, although Gary Newman's doing it, um, it's not a hero. <laughs> but... Um, no, you see, this is where we really looked to. This is where we really, really looked to. And, and it's to try and explain it to people that were young, younger than me. Before, let's call it the punk explosion or the punk movement, before that came along, the chances of being able to do stuff coming from <clears throat> the provinces, Glasgow, Dublin, Manchester, Birmingham, uh, everything was London-centric, whether you wanted to start a fashion business, whether you wanted to make little movies, whether you wanted to get a record deal, everything was London-centric. And the thing about punk, outside the actual sound of punk music, it was as much the mentality behind punk. Out of nowhere came this thing where working-class kids got it into their heads that I could give that a go as well. Uh, um, because I don't know, the, the odds were so stacked against you up until then. I mean, one of the things in the music was that um, things got cheaper, so you could print your own little records, and maybe you would send it to John Peel in London, and if he, he played it, it was amazing how things worked. If he, he played it, then somebody in Cardiff asked you to come and play, and then somebody in Cardiff's got a cousin in New York that works in a nightclub, and they'll have you over for it. I mean, just the dots joined for some reason that was never never possible before punk so much so in terms of music any great glasgow artists scottish artists had to move to london and invariably you know it's expensive and people are living in squats and all that and before they know it they're back home with their tail between their legs but punk just gave everybody i mean let, let how can i say it gave everybody the idea that anybody could give it a go. Didn't mean to say that everybody could be great at it, but even that's subjective. But it gave you the idea you could give it a go. 
Um, and we were right there at that time when the whole punk thing came along. So we formed this band. I mean, we were very much, you know, very much me too. You know, we were, we were, we were a 10th rate punk band. But had it not came along, there's a chance that we'd still be sitting there saying, you know, one day we're going to get a band together. It, it came along in such a rush that before we knew it, we were in there, we played, we had a van, people were asking us to play in Aberdeen, people were asking us to play in Edinburgh. Even though we're pretty crap, there was something about our attitude where, where we always won the audience over, the audience went nuts. And that was a kind of energy, oxygen. Charlie and I thought, imagine you could really do this for real, you know, imagine we really, this is, because we were a bit of a satire, as the name would sort of suggest. So within six months, we had canned that and thought, let's get real and 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 um, really see if we can put together something that's got a chance of. Um, the sort of three things we we wanted was it was a lot more innocent, and naive. Then no one knew about money, no one knew about sales figures, no all that stuff. We wanted to win a great live band. We really wanted that. We knew that from going to gigs ourselves. We could tell the difference between who was a good live band, who was a great live band, and the gap was colossal. Um, um, so we wanted to be in a great live band. I wanted to be perceived as a great live band. We wanted to take it around the world because we just had that in us as well. But this time we were hitchhiking around Europe and we were aware of different places and, and different cultures. And we, we just wanted to touch it. It wasn't a case we wanted to go and dominate. We just wanted to be in amongst all of that. So we wanted to take it around, around the world and we wanted to eke some kind of life out of it. They were the three things. Um, um, but all of that really, I don't know if it would have happened without the punk. So although we laugh at it, um, I think somewhere it was a real strong catalyst to what we have then gone on to do and continue to do. Yeah, I think even the name as well, because it's so different. So immediately that's a standard. It's like, what, who are these dudes? You know, and I think yeah. immediately you get the kind of like a bit of attention. So so wait, so, so you've kind of come from your childhood all the way through, right? And now you're <clears> starting <throat> to perform. You're starting to sort of mm. play and dabble in this. When did you, or when did someone see something in you that thought, okay, they, they, they have it we're, we're going to have to work to help them become big like how, how did that happen well I'll tell you a couple of alternative versions people ask me that question and, and I've depending on how I feel I go with one one or the other and it goes back to the first gig it goes back to uh the first Simple Minds gig where it was uh, January 17 1978 and we, it was a, a discotheque, as they called them then, a Monday night, Jesus, a Monday night in January in a disco, and we were third or fourth on the bill. Um, it, was our, it was our first gig, and, and, you know, usually when people talk about their first gig, they say, well, there's two men and a dog there, it was terrible, and they're doing good. But, um, so we walked on a... Uh, the sound of our own feet and um, depending on the mood I'm in I'll say well you know we had pretty good reaction and then it was bit by bit and then a day like the day I feel it's saying no as soon as Charlie hit the guitar I thought this has gone a distance this has gone the whole way because it just sounded fantastic he I, he just sounded amazing and I saw it in the audience. I mean, there might only have been about 100 people there, but there was a visceral... Because I'd gone to all the gigs. I, I, I knew all the other bands. I knew how audiences reacted. And by the time we came off half an hour later, people were going mental. Even though they'd never seen us or heard us or knew not, they were going mental. We, we had done something. Um, the music had done something. And, you know, I think, well, if we can bottle this... Um, um, we've got a chance. So um, the interesting thing is, I wish people say to me, you know, if you either wish, I wish, <laughs> I wish everybody in the world <laughs> could feel, um, even for a day, even once, how we get to feel every night when you play something and you hear the sound of applause. Um, 
people don't, I don't think people realize the transformative power that has the sound of applause. Or even if there's verbal applause, people saying you're in a workplace, you're great. You're onto something great here, or you're really good. Because that's really what applause is saying. And um, I say that at the band as well, especially the younger ones who working with, I mean, I'm, just imagine what it would be like if everybody went into work before they took their jackets. Before we even take our, our jackets off on stage, people are going mental. We haven't even played a note. People are going mental. Believe me, even now, after having done 3,000 gigs, you physically change when you when you hear that. You, you're just, you're, you're like, wow, that encouragement coming to you, you it means every gig you want to give 100%. In fact, when you're on stage that night, no matter where you are, it's the only gig in the world. It doesn't matter if you played last night or tomorrow night. This is it. 100% commitment. And, and um, that's what encouragement does. And we got encouraged that first night. Let's say we had been ignored or bottled off, which did happen a couple of times. But, but um, there was something in that uh, encouragement. And, and I just thought, the band has a vibe, and 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 if we build everything around that vibe, um, we might have a chance. Do you know it's funny you should say that? So it's why I'm totally with you on this. So when I was a young kid, but you know during my bullying stages, I, I started karate. So my brother, who, who's now passed as well, but he he got me into karate. And I got to my third dan. And I always remember the minute I put that gi on and I tied that bell, a veil came over me and I was suddenly, there you go. I went into a different place. And then equally, you know, through, through my job, so my, I, I do a global role and I, I, I'm very lucky to go around the world and I see a lot of shows. And it's certainly not the audience you have, but say there's a thousand people in the crowd, but you do have this thing. So I'm this bullied kid up there emceeing. These people are clapping. They're listening to you. You've got the audience in control. And it's, it's a very different dynamic. But I totally get exactly what you're saying. And I wonder, you know, you came from, I guess, nothing to this, like, amazing. I mean, you, you know, it's Nirvana and steroids. But how do you feel? Because I can imagine, for me, you, you, you never, you work hard to get it and you never want to lose it because you're always grateful for what you've got so I mean how do you you know you were saying there you work your, your butt off every every time you do something because people deserve that yeah how how do your principles sort of come into this well it's funny you you say that and I could, of course I realize what, what you're saying in terms of material wealth and all of that stuff or having the breaks or having music teachers or having we came from nothing because we never had any of that but don't you think for a second before we go on Glasgow, we don't think before we go on to a gig, we don't think about where we're from. And in our mind at that moment, we're for the best place in the world. And we're going to show that we're for the best place in the world. Because we carry Glasgow on ways we're on stage. We're we're made in Glasgow. And when you think like that, as daft as it sounds, if you think like that even for a, a minute, there's no way you're gonna let the night down. Because there's so much at stake. You've got your own personal pride. Somewhere the, you're, you're representing the people that brought you up. I think you are. Uh, um, and, and so there's, there's just no chance that you're going to... There's just no chance you're going to lose. There's too much at stake. Uh, um, um, there's, there's too much at stake. It's, it's, it's a bit like when... It's interesting you hear him there, um, hearing you talk about karate. Amazing. That was a great image. I mean... I'm a boxing fan. Uh, um, sometimes I ask myself why, but I just am. <laughs> and as soon as I do, you know, you get these up and coming fighters and this and that, and then they get pitched with some Mexican street kid. No chance. Um, because these people are coming, these people are coming from somewhere deep. And I think that's what I'm trying to say to you then. We, yeah, we did come from nothing, but we didn't really come from nothing. We came from somewhere really, really deep. And, and, We've got these huge screens, and this tour, and I think one of the first images up is Simple Minds Glasgow. It says it in the script, Simple Minds Glasgow, made in Glasgow. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, that, that um, there's a lot at stake. Yeah, there is. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, when I say you come from nothing, I, you know, I, I'm probably, yeah, I'm talking about the materialistic stuff, but you're right. I mean, 
for me, it's a badge of honor to come from Scotland. I love, you know, yeah. I'm on a stage in New York and I'm like, I'm from Glasgow and I'm from, and I actually love to say, because it sort of just makes me tick that I am from Clydebank, which is classed as one of the most deprived areas of Glasgow. And I still live here. And I could have left that my family are here and I love them. And I, why would I ever leave, you know? And, and I guess, you know, what I would love you to sort of share with people is, so say, say there's someone out there just now who's a wee bit lost. They kind of, they're a bit in a bit of a rut, but they want to maybe become something more. And actually, and can I just say any grade of job fulfills a service? So there's no wrong or right in this. Sure. But what would you give to people? What, what advice would you give to people to just keep going? Like what principles do you live by? Well, I mean, <clears throat> the first thing you said is it's also a great thing to be of service. I, I see simple minds as being of service when we, when we, you know, and it's a great thing to feel you are. What do we do? We go on stage and we bring these vibes and we bring lights and we bring sound. And, you know, sometimes you're in the bus and you're maybe, it could be anywhere in the world, you could drive in and how can I say this without offending anywhere? Because we know what Glasgow is like, but you're driving into Cleveland and it's a Thursday night rush hour and grey and rainy and the steel mills are shut down and all that. And, and you're driving in there and you think, are we really, we have to bring some sound and light and colours and positive energy to this place tonight. It is not just here's a few tunes. So... And when you do it, you see the audience coming in and they come in and a bit, you know, and then as a look at it, there's time to go on. And you can just see the body language is changing and people are feeling a bit more energized. By the end of the night, they're ecstatic. And I think in our case, you, you know, to be able to make people escape whatever problems they had during the day or whatever for two hours. That's what entertainment does. But um, what would I say to people in, in terms of, um, how do you mean, in terms of uh, their goal or? Yeah, just in terms of how to get on in life, never stop, keep going. Like, you know, what, what did you do? You know, you, you never gave up, did you? You, you kept striving for that prize once you realised you kind of had something special going. But, you know, I guess there's a lot of people that don't even get to that stage. They're just kind of doing a job and think, but well, I want to do more in my life. How do I keep, you know, is it maybe putting them in front of the right people? Is it exploring the world? I, again, you know, going back to that thing, I've been lucky or whatever, and it's, it's, it's people who find, so many people go through life and they just don't find the thing that excites them or the thing that um, inspires them or the thing, you know, maybe it's two or three different things, but they just don't find it. But for people who do, um, what an amazing thing. And if you love it, sure, there'll be times, ups and downs, and sure, there'll be times where the worst things imaginable happen or things don't pan out the way you thought or something, you know, these things, like black swan events, the, you know, these, these things that only come once in a lifetime. We seem to come every year now, um, if it isn't pandemics or wars or recessions or whatever. Um, what else are you going to do? I mean, it, it's, it's when your mom and dad brought you up, what, what are you going to do? You still have to get up, put bread on the table. You still have to get up, put a roof over. You still have to, um, I mean, I find that with, with us, we can, <laughs> We've got a real, uh, we've got a, a work ethic that it just, just never stops. I'm, I mean, it just never, as soon as a Monday morning, maybe no nine o'clock, but as soon as a Monday morning, I don't have to go to work on a Monday morning, but there's something about a Monday morning still. It's like, right, what's the plan this week? And there's something about a Friday looking back going, oh, great, we got this done and we got that done. Or, you know, um, um, and in our case, it can be a load of things. It could be writing, it could be recording, it could be writing I'm doing, it could be could be anything. Learning a language. I mean, languages, I, I can just tell you something that came to me, you know, fairly late, but what a thing that's been to have another language. It seems so obvious, but I would encourage anybody that can do that because apart from the, well, why would I do that? Would you? I need to do that. Apart from the self-esteem, and, and actually, the opportunities that cannot open if you've got another language, and if you get one language, you can, uh, my partner speaks four, 
she speaks wow. four languages. Um, it, um, there's such a, so some weeks I'll, when I'm in Italy, I think my Italian is not as good as I'm going to go to school this, this week. Um, and, and, you know, just to, to improve, to improve or to have a plan, you need to have a plan. If you don't, you need, you can have a goal, but a goal without a plan is nowhere. You need a plan. Even if that plan doesn't pan out, you need a plan. You say, well, we moved incrementally forward. Without a plan, you can get flaky and you put it all off and you don't know what. You have to make a plan, commit to it as much as possible. If you have to change, if you have to pivot or something, fine, do it. But I'm amazed the amount of people who we even, I mean, <laughs> We're in our 48th year of making music. We've just come up with another five-year plan. Uh, um, Ten years is kind of stretched. You know, don't want to get too <laughs> cocky. But, but you know, five years can go like that. And, and another thing anyway, usually we read if it's a tour, well, there's a year gone anyway, and if you do something else, like there's... So, but you need a plan. And, 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 and um, none of this is, you know, none of this is original information, but... Um, but I don't think you can really get on without these fundamentals. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you know, I need to have a chat to my brothers and sisters. Apparently when they were kids, my brother, I'm the youngest of seven, before I was born, my brothers and sisters used to be in a kid on band and my brother was the conductor and they used to always get the pots and get the, and I'm thinking, what have you done guys? Where was your plan? So I need to go and have a fun word with them now. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I need, I need to ask this question or I'll get into trouble. So my son is 19 and he, you know, he's coming up for 20 and me. And I said to him, Lewis, I'm, I'm meeting Jim Care. And his first thing was, who's that, mom? Because he's like too young. So he's not your target market. Sure. But I told him how amazing you are. And he, I said to him, like, if you get a chance to speak to someone like him, what would you ask him? Because I want to influence people like him. And he said to me, well, I would love to know how did he manage to surround himself with people that helped him get on in his career? But more importantly, how did he learn to trust them? And I thought it was quite a smart question, so I'll put that to you. Great, 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 great. Well, again, serendipity luck. I mean, you, you, when you start the band, you know, and when you only, you've never been outside of Glasgow, you've never even outside the south side of Glasgow, I still got a nosebleed when I go to the West End. I don't know what anything is, you know, I'm really... So um, um, I get it all confused. But so, you know, you're from a really small area and pretty much you're going to work with your schoolmates or you're going to work with, I don't know, maybe your girlfriend has a pal at work that knows a guy that's got a bass or something. It's all right. He's the bass player then. So you, you kind of, you, you work, you work to begin with, you work with what you have. And then as doors start to open, you maybe are you maybe identify that's the kind of person we need, or this is the kind of person we we need. And again, it's you should develop a sense of, of through what people say, how they are, how they react. Um, um, oh, that's the kind of person I want to hang out with, or that guy, or this woman can can you know bring in something that we need right now. It's it's a learning process, but it's particularly it's been amazing for us because I think particularly in our game, um, going around the world as we did, especially in those uh, uh, formative years, where you know, kind of living hand to mouth, and it was a back of your van or a minibus or whatever. We us, you know, we wanted to get out, we wanted to get and meet people and see things. Now we only really had one night in a town. So you had to develop a real sharp instinct of who was cool and who was not cool. And, and that, that has been, I think that's been something that's, that's kept us in good stead. But, uh, but your son is right. And on stage, of course, there's us. But we've been so lucky to have just great people work along with us. You know, even now people who work with our assistants or manager and all that, they're, they're the best. And and um, they're they're looked on as the best in the game, and and why would you not want the best if you can attract them? 
Absolutely. My mum always used to talk about is reputation by association. So yeah, I'll, right. I'll make sure I go back and relay that. So thank you so much. I mean, this has just been, I mean, I think we could talk for ages. I think we need to get a drink and, and go through, you know, um, and talk about all all your life life's worth, because I think there's a lot more in there than we've sort of, we've just sort of scraped the surface, I guess. And, you know, and, and the fact that you, you know, you, you even go back to the bars to do some gigs, you go to Celtic Park. I, I think, Jim, you're just keeping it real. And I, I think that comes through you know I watched a video of you warming up and it wasn't the crowd I think it was in Toronto and it was a small group of your team and just the way you behaved and the way you made them feel I mean I felt the way I think they would have felt and I just think that just right. shows that you're a lovely just a lovely person and you know I really I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that but I just, that's the one thing I would say you know I mean, the band we've got, the women in the band as well. I mean, they're, they're, they're top notch. But before every gig, I always say, you know, people get nervous to do it. It's always, a, it's every night's like, oh, this again, we've got to go out and win it again. Or, or we've got to go out and risk it again when it doesn't work. And I always say to them, look, this is a piece of cake. This is a piece of cake. These people have already, already decided before they even came through the door that they love the music and that they're going to have a great time. All we have to do is be absolutely brilliant every night. Uh, <laughs> we go, oh, thanks, thanks a lot, because that's what they're demanding. And 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 um, but um, lovely to talk to you. And uh, I hope this 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 pans out. I'm sure it will, and I'm sure you're going to inspire so many people. So thank you so much.